And it is Jared of the GM live out at Drake's in Cool Springs, Smashville, live tonight at 7 o'clock. Rocco Grimaldi, Dante Fabro will be out here. Uh, by the way, I was telling a buddy of mine who uh, who's having a kid, and they found out it's going to be a boy. And I was talking to him. We are talking about, you know, what, what the kid's going to be like. He's a huge Preds fan, and, uh, and, and he was talking about, you know, the first jersey he's going to get his kid is going to be a Matt Deshane jersey. And I said, you might want to get a Fabro jersey just for longevity's sake. Although, you know, you have a kid and five seconds later he'll grow out of that jersey and into the next one and so on and so forth. But I said, maybe a Fabro for longevity might be the right call for old Junior over there. But they'll be right here at Drake's. But I will tell everybody we are taking the candy. So no candy for those that just come for Smashville Live at 7. Jared and the GM, we got the... The pumpkin candy bowl right here with all kinds of candy in it. Now, last night's game, Hal said, hey, it's going to be an exciting game. When we had Hal on at 530, he said, it's going to be an exciting game. Did you think it was going to be that exciting? Uh, Did you think it was exciting? 6-1? It was a butt kicking. Every five seconds, the Preds are putting a puck in the net. Oh, I didn't. I quit watching after a while. Four to four to nothing. I was gone. <laughs> I mean, I that you. was that was a complete thrashing. I thought the Preds were just. I mean, you, you know, if you make a, a list of all the things you'd love to get done in a game, you'd love for your goalie to play great. Of course, it was which Becca. he did. Yeah, um, you know, scoring from all four lines. Check. Uh, power play scoring, check. Shorthanded score, check. I mean, everything. I, I just thought they they hit the gamut. So, I mean, it was, uh, it was as complete a game, I think, as I've seen in a while. Defense played well. Goalie, like I said, was, was out of sight. And so, uh, so you know, when you, when you – all the things that we talked about before, what are the things you're going to stress – what would you like to get done? Looks like they pretty much got them all done. You know what's <laughs> wild when you win a game 6-1? to one, What generally the average fan probably doesn't think about, but having, having been at the game last night, I think I take away the most of anything in last night's game. Pecorine won the Met game last night. Like, was, you know, you win good. 6-1 and you say, well, like, you know, Johnny Joe could have played goalie. If you're going to score six goals, you're probably going to win. Early in that game, Anaheim got some good looks. I mean, he stops. A, he stops a penalty shot. The Preds, you know, spent some time in the box. I thought Pekka was fantastic last night, and it just and because the Ducks goalies are so average, both Gibson and Miller, like because they're so average. Although the they'd only took, they'd only given up two average two goals a game. Talking about Gibson and Miller, yeah, two goals a game. I know, but the Predators just always beat John Gibson in the playoffs. So maybe I just have it stuck in my head that John Gibson's an average goalie, but. I mean, sitting there, it was like all of those shots. You know, in like the playoffs last year, and really all of last year it felt like this, the Preds would, would have a breakaway, and it would be someone not named Forsberg. And so you'd, be, you'd see like Craig Smith, for example, and you'd be sitting there like, oh, he's got it. He's got a breakaway. He's got oh. Last night, every time they got a little breakaway, you're sitting there like, ah, oh, Sissons comes out of the box. He gets the puck. He's going, Yeah! Like, every time, and Gibson had no, Ekholm had one just like that. I mean, Gibson had no idea where that puck was because it was coming so fast. And the, and the, the, the Preds played, that was the kind of game, this system that they want, 
that's the kind of game they want to play. Still got to be more structured defensively because Anaheim had opportunities, but the goalie just played great. And I don't think you can expect the goalie to play that way every night. The um, the thing, I mean, there's no doubt Becker was good. The thing that I was impressed with and the thing I'm, I was wondering last night is is we're getting, you know, let's face it, when we go into a game, there are a couple guys you kind of expect to score. And then through the years, there's been a couple of guys that that aren't shocks, but they aren't necessarily, you don't expect them to. And you see like like Sessons and guys like that now going up and down scoring. Mm-hmm. You're thinking, I wonder if we should have been doing this all for the last couple of years. Because these guys are sure in a very short time have adapted very well to it. Well, we say that today. But did I we say change. but did we say that, you know, Thursday night when they went to Arizona and they were leaving Soros out to dry. You know, that's like I I because I, I, I can see not only in the middle of games can you see the pros and cons of what they're trying to do, but game to game you can kind of see the pros and cons of what they're trying to do. I'll say this now, we're getting to the point where Hal said ten games, that you evaluate the team after ten games. The Predators have played nine, right? I have no idea. Well, the Predators are the Predators have played nine. So they've got nine games under their belt. So on Friday, we'll be able to look at the 10-game evaluation, which, again, that's what Hal says to do, 10 games. I mean, there are some things that I'm looking at through 10 games, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? There are some things I'm starting to believe in. And you know what number one on the list is? What's that? We're not at 10 games yet, so I'm not officially going to believe in anything until we get to the 10th game. Kyle Turris doesn't suck this year. He doesn't suck. Now, I'm not ready to say that he's great or anything like that, but he does not suck this year. And that in and of itself, that is stunning to me because you know they wanted to get rid of him so badly after last year, and we wanted to get rid of him, and the fans wanted to get rid of him, and he does not suck this year. He is playing good hockey. I, I can't I, believe I, it. I don't know that the Preds were all that excited to get rid of him. Oh, they tried. I think the Preds thought. It came out Especially that they tried. after they came back. He came back from whatever that, wherever he went and played. Team Canada yeah, or whatever? Yeah, Team Canada, where he was the captain and played and all that, that they looked at that and go, you know what? We, he maybe need a little bit more time. Well, you know, know what I thought about? Remember last year? Remember his criticism of the coach last year and the line he kept saying? I, I need don't. to play my game. Oh, yeah. This might be his game. Maybe. This, so he might have been right. Because remember, we this, crushed of, him when he said, play my game. Of all he the, might be right. Of all the guys on this team that are now showing up above and beyond the guys that have always shown, like I said before, you're wondering what what took us so long to, to adjust to this. I mean, you're going, wait a minute now. We've got guys that were just, you know, so-so that now are going up and down the ice scoring goals. So I know we got we got a ways to go. I am, I'm not sure 10 games is enough, but maybe it is. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think it's kind of like in the NFL, what would you say, like 
two games. You know, ten games is two games. If four games is a quarter and you play 16 games, and of 80 games, 20 would be a quarter, 10 games would be two games in the NFL. So, I mean, after two games in the NFL, what do you know about your team? Not a whole lot. So, yes, there is some of that. But, I mean, first of all, DeShane, I I love DeShane. I love Matt DeShane. I love him. I think he is just perfect for this team. I think the energy he's brought both on the ice and off the ice have been fantastic. But there are some guys, Ryan Ellis, one of them, who was terrible last year. Now, I haven't seen Ellis play as well as everybody else is telling me that Ellis has played. Uh, I still think sometimes he can be a liability back there. But Kyle Turris, I, I am just stunned with the fact that he is playing great. By the way, I was at the game last night in my seats. Arvidsson scores the two goals. Somebody, I heard somebody yell out at the game, he's a 30-goal scorer, Jared. And I'm like, oh, my God. This thing is, like, just constantly all over me, just stalking me wherever I go. Arvidsson has five goals already on the year. There's a lot of guys in this new system. Now, Rene is going to struggle in terms of, you know, his numbers matching some of his. There's some guys on this team who are going to have career highs statistically in a lot of things. I mean, Matt Duchesne has nine assists. You realize he's on pace for 82 assists this season? <laughs> like, I'm going to guess he doesn't get there. Yeah, I'm going to guess that won't happen. But, I, and last night's game was a butt kicking. I just wish they could play playoff games like that. And then not have the automatic not show up the next night after they play a game like that in the playoffs, which is what they do. But I am very positive as far as the Preds are concerned. Before we even went on the air yesterday, Hal sat down with us. Did he not, Floyd, and said, what are you complaining about now? And I said, I don't really have any complaints. I mean, this early in the season, what am I supposed to care about? What am I not supposed to care about? I don't know. But they're scoring on the power play. They're playing hard. I mean, I, I feel good about the team. And last night, boy, what a shellacking last night. And a great performance from the goalie and just a great performance from the team. Let's take your calls on the Predators. 615-737-1025 is the phone number. 615-737-1025. I do wonder, after listening to Adam Vingan today, I do wonder if there is one guy who maybe the Predators could circle on and move. And when do we start to think about what they may do roster-wise? We'll discuss that next as we are live again from Drake's and Cool Springs. Smashville Live tonight is at 7 o'clock right here. Dante Fabro will be here. Rocco Grimaldi will be here. Nash will be here. The energy team will be here. But guess what won't be? The candy bowl will not be here. So come on out and uh, get some candy, and then Smashville Live. Jared and the GM, it's ESPN 1025, the game streaming on the Nashville app. Back in the Nashville zone, and Ham Hughes will clear it to the Anaheim line. Getzloff comes back, Lindholm carries, and tipped away. Here comes Eckholm in shorthanded. He scores! Matias Eckholm! Well, folks, there goes Brent Peterson. So when that puck went in the net, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, it's 4 nothing Preds, and I look at the clock, which is right by, I sit in section 109, and I turn right over and I look up and I see that it's like 8.26, uh, like the time of the day is 8.26, and I thought, they got Frosties before 8.30? 
You know how hard that is to do? The game only starts at 7, and there's 20 minutes or 18 minutes or whatever in between periods. And by eight before 8.30, they had free Frosties. I was like, what in the world? That has to be one of those great kind of feelings, Floyd, as like a GM, when your team is just going up and down the field, and it's 35 to 7, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, thank goodness this one is... You can breathe easy if that makes any sense. Although knowing you, you're probably up 35 to seven. Now, if they score six touchdowns, we're hey. we're, we're in trouble now. Let's not forget Buffalo in the playoffs. Let's not do that. 35 now. points. So it happens. So the Predators are lighting up not only the scoreboard, but they're also lighting up the stat sheet. For example, last night Matt Deshane got his ninth assist. This team, and and I know you hate the assist stat, but I think you probably feel pretty good about Deshane's assists, right? Well, I don't, uh, you know, I think Becca got an assist the other night. That is true. That is correct. Yes. Pekka got an assist. I know, but the Matt Duchesne assist. Pekka got an assist. That ends my conversation. (laughs) Uh, Chris Mason got a score to goal as a goalie one time. Uh, Scored a goal? Yeah. Empty netter? Yeah. Ah. I turned around and just chucked it. So every time Pekka's in that situation, he tries because Chris is the only Preds goalie to ever score a goal like that. That's great. So Pekka really obviously wants to try to score. So when it's like an empty net situation and Pekka goes to play the puck, the whole crowd gets excited wondering if Pekka's going to try to take a shot at the other net. But anywho, so uh, like, for example, Arvidsson's got five goals. I mean, it's not even – he's on pace to score 40 goals. Like, that is – Unbelievable. Turris has four. Ellis has 11 assists. Now, Ellis's assists are usually the the kind of assists that we don't count. But DeShane has nine assists. I mean, they are lighting up the stat sheet. And even Kyle Turris is playing great. Except one guy who's kind of struggling to get it going, and it's Craig Smith. And I was listening to Adam Vingan today talk on Morning Drive, and I thought to myself, man, for a team that is clicking offensively, something is up with Craig Smith. Here's what he said. Craig Smith is an interesting one to me, and he's the one that has caught my eye the most, just because with as good as this offense has been through nine games, he has yet to score. And he's used to having goal droughts. I mean, he's a streaky player, as most scorers are. So that in itself isn't concerning to me. It's the fact that when you look at his underlying metrics, the amount of shot attempts and shots that he's getting off are way down from his normal output. I mean, last year... I believe he was seventh in the NHL in shots at five-on-five per 60 minutes. I think he had 10.6 per 60 minutes. This year, he's like 11th or 12th on the team, at least before last night's game. So, I mean, he did play on the left side for the first time in the first three games. He's in the bottom six now, and that might be affecting his output. But you, you see the tenacity on the puck is still there. But the fact that he's not getting shots off at the same extent that we're used to seeing it's a little troubling uh, to me. Again, it's only nine games in, so that could change. But, you know, for as many goals as this team has scored, for Craig Smith not to be involved in some way is unlike him. So they're out there lighting it up, and Craig Smith is struggling. And I'm starting to think, Floyd, remember when we talked before the season about, hey, if Kyle Turris, if Kyle Turris reestablishes his value, they could trade him, take the $6 million saving on the cap, uh, if they need to make another move, and then they could promote one of the young guys, Pitlick, Tolvanen, etc. And then we said, but if, if for example, Turris were to go out there and reestablish his value, then you wouldn't want to trade him, right? 
Right. Do you want to trade Turris right now? No. Okay. So, I mean, you're not. What about Smith, though? Smith makes $4 million and he's, uh, I think, a free agent at the end of the year. He's struggling to get it going. Would Smith not be the guy who would make the most sense because he's not a center like Kyle Turris? Would Smith make sense to be a guy maybe to move? He makes $4 million, so you'd be, or 4.25 or something in that vicinity, so you'd be able to take that money back. Yeah, and what are you trying to get with this money? I mean, in case you need it down the road, in case you need to add a defenseman, something. I mean, I think the third uh, pair is a nightmare right now for the Predators. I'd like to see them add a defenseman. Not as good as PK, obviously, but a defenseman that can come in here and, and help out that third pair because the third pair, I think, is a huge liability. Yeah, I don't – I mean, just me, I wouldn't be too quick to trade anybody yet. I mean, we still got a ton of time, a lot of time. And will you know, like it's like who was that? Adam just said, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it, scorers are streaky, and, and Smith is they, certainly one of them. Yeah, I mean, he you'll you'll see him not do anything for for ten games, and then he may turn around and have ten goals in ten games. You don't know. So let's wait for a while. Let's get more of your phones. Let's get your phones on the pred six one five seven three seven one zero two five. Jared in the GM out at Drake's in Cool Springs against Smashville live tonight. Seven o'clock. Rocco Grimaldi and Dante Fabro. Paul is going to kick us off here on Jared and the GM on the Preds. Thank you for calling. Go ahead, Paul. Hey guys, two things I'm excited about. One, Jared, you got to be excited about this. We've seen a lot of power plays. There's not been one single backwards pass. It's gone. The pass backwards on the ice to get it down is over with. I'm excited to oh, see that. Oh God, out I of the love power that. Play. I hate that drop pass. I hate it. Hated it. The second thing is, um, man, I feel like Pekka is playing, playing with just more relief. I think the fact that he knows that he doesn't have to be perfect, that he doesn't have to stop every shot because his guys are going to put up four or five goals, that he can let one in or two in, and it's not a disaster. I think that that completely changes his dynamic. I'll hang up and get your thoughts. Thank you for the call. I don't think Peck is playing any different. I think the one thing you're seeing right now, because the goalies are more exposed, is you're seeing the – and, uh, you know, Soros does traditionally start off poorly and then heats up around the middle of the year. Maybe he does it this year. But I think you're seeing the difference. And we always talk about, like, being able to carry a team as opposed to, you know, being a guy that helps the team. Soros, when he's got no help, he's trouble back there. Pekka, when they leave him out to dry, still makes some incredible saves. I think we're kind of seeing the difference in the two goalies with the change in the system. Yeah, that's and, and the question's going to be ultimately at some point in time is like, can you win the cup? Can, can Saros, you know, play in this system as well as he played in in the other system? And we don't know that yet. But um, you know, I I think the thing I I, I continue to watch Pekka. The thing that marvels me is how instinctive he is. I mean, he makes some moves in the net for no reason, and they work. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's based on the way the guy is approaching him with a puck or, or the angle of the stick or the height of the stick or the, you know, any of those kinds of things. But, I mean, you there was one last night where he was completely out of position threw the glove up and, you know, the and snagged the thing out of the air. I'm not even sure he saw it. But he knew where it was going to be and was able to, you know, able to stop it. So, 
I mean, he he has been special. And I'll tell you what, there is just nobody. I mean, you know, you go, I don't care what the sport is. I'm not sure there's anybody in the city that is more likable than Becca. I mean, he is just, I mean, I don't care what he's doing. He is so down to earth and so modest and, you know, never, ever takes any credit for anything. And he does a bunch, so special guy it was funny i was talking to my buddy who uh who's having a kid i was like your son's probably gonna miss on pecorine you know like he, your son will probably just realize that he likes hockey right you know when he's like three ish right when pecca retires and uh it was you know it's it's kind of one of those things where enjoy it while you have it because you may not have it for that much longer but he is playing at an unbelievable level more your calls on the phones uh, on the preds we're right to them next. 615-737-1025. 615-737-1025. Jared in the GM, live from Drake's in Cool Springs. Smashville Live tonight, uh, right here. MTSU Blue Raider football. They take on FIU this Saturday at Floyd Stadium. Get to the game early. Experience the Grove Tailgate area. Don't forget to also check out the Blue Raider Beer Garden and Family Fun Zone. Kickoff for MTSU FIU 230 on 94.9 Game 2 and 97.5 in the Burrow. Jared in the GM at TSPN 1025. The game. And now 10 seconds of the Sissons penalty. Delzada over to his right. Enrique follows down as the puck is dumped into the right corner. He goes to the left corner. Sissons is out of the box, and the puck comes right to him, breaking in shorthanded. He scores! Colton Sissons, shorthanded. The first of the year for Nashville. That was a beauty. It happened right in front of me last night. It was in mid-conversation. And uh, and immediately see Sissons out of the box. My buddy's talking like, wah! And here comes Sissons out of the box. And, like, clockwork puts it in the back of the net. We're live out at Drake's in Cool Springs again tonight. Smashville Live, 7 o'clock with uh, Dante Fabro and Rocco Grimaldi. And you know what, Floyd? I think I'm going to be a nice guy today. In the spirit of Halloween, I think I'm going to be a nice guy. Okay. You see the candy bowl we have right here? Yeah. How full do you think the candy bowl is? They're pretty no full. Yeah. The little candy uh, pumpkin. I'm going to leave the pumpkin here tonight for everybody at Drake's uh, who comes out for Smashville Live. Get you some Halloween candy courtesy of Jared Stillman. Not Jared and the GM, just Jared Stillman. Uh, and then we'll have candy tomorrow as well. So we'll just have a bunch of candy. You want to know why we'll have so much candy, Floyd? Why is that? Because I thought I was going to get trick-or-treaters, so I bought a ton of candy. And then everyone told me I bought too much candy, so I felt like bringing it out here. Let's go to your phones. Forrest is up next on the Predators. Thank you for calling. Go ahead, Forrest. Hey, guys. Finally, there's a team in Tennessee that we can actually root for. Um, I'm assuming that after the game last night that all of the Predators and the fans in Nashville won't be getting discount tickets to Disneyland anytime soon. And my son said it best last night during the game. He said, duck season is officially open in Nashville. That's all I got. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the call. What does he mean by Disney World? I have no idea. What is it? What is he talking about? I don't know. Do you what's what's in Disney World for hockey? I don't, I don't know. Do not know. Okay, back to the phones. Tim <laughs> is up next on Kyle Turris. Thank you for calling. You're up next. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah. So I mean, you got to be obviously happy with how Turris is playing so far this year. I think he's got his confidence back. That's what the uh, sentiment seems to be, and that's good. But um, and it's early, obviously, and we'll see in a couple months when the trade deadline hits how he's playing. 
But I think um, around that time of year, a top six center is going to be a really hot commodity. And when you look at who we have down in Milwaukee, it might be smart to just test the waters and see if maybe we can dump that big contract. What do you think? Thank you for your call. If they were to trade Kyle Turris, I would not be upset with it. I mean, I, I look, the one thing I can tell you about Kyle Turris, and again, I cannot make this claim completely yet because we're not through 10 games. And Hal Gill says... You have to get through 10 games. So I can't totally make this claim just yet. But, but, the one thing that I do feel kind of good about is that this season Kyle Turris does not suck. That is the one thing that I feel good about is I feel that he doesn't suck. So as much as I would like to see a, a, a tourist that doesn't suck on the team this year, there's no guarantee that he you know, isn't going to turn back into a pumpkin. And at the same time, when the Yossi contract becomes a thing, you know, the six for four more years, that is a lot to think about. That if this is the peak of what you can get from him, and even if it's just you pick up a third in exchange for Kyle Turris, and, but you get that six million off, I think you probably have to consider it. Yeah, again, I, I think this is just one of those decisions that you can't make now. You know, you don't know what's going to happen in another 40 games or whatever, whenever the trade deadline comes around. So, I mean, it's you're just happy that he's he's helping now. You know, he's a part of it. He's that being he active, suck. and he's going out there and scoring goals and assisting and, and doing all the things that you want him to do. And who knows, you know, in, in another month and a half, month, he may be, you know, as good as anybody we got. That's not going to happen. I don't know. He's not going to be more valuable to the team than Matt Deshane. He's know. not going to be more valuable than Philip Forsberg. He's not going to be Roman Yossi. I don't know. Well, he's never been that in his career. That would be I like me know. saying, hey, you know, in a couple of months, Jameel Douglas might be more valuable than any player on the Titans. Do you really think I'm, that? I'm not sure that's the same. But <laughs> at least Torres at a point in time was a for real player. Kind of. I mean, so it's not like you're taking a guy that's never ever played and saying, okay, now you got to be, you know, one of the one of the cogs in this wheel. I mean, you're saying, "Hey, you've done it. We've seen it. We know you can do it. So let's do it." At a point in time, Cody Parkey was a for real kicker, and now he can't not hit the upright. Cairo Santos was a for real kicker, and he can't kick anymore. His career is probably over. By the way, I was thinking about that the other day. Trey is up next on the Preds live out at Drake's. We're against Smashville Live Preds Insiders tonight. Trey, go ahead. Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. So I actually have a question that pertains to one of the things to my comment. So my comment would be that, you know, Jared, you're, you said recently that you were looking for something to complain about. And I think you're right. There's not much to complain about. The one thing I have kind of been wondering other than the defense struggle a little bit is that get, getting through the neutral zone um, and setting and, and entering the offensive zone um, with, without much struggle has seemed to be an issue through at least the first part of the game. Now, I didn't see the game last night, so I'm interested to see if you guys saw an improvement on that. I um, just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Thanks. Thank you for the call. I have I don't really feel any sense of them not being able to get the puck in into the neutral or get it through the neutral zone into the offensive zone. Although Hal mentioned that yesterday, not when I mentioned you know Hal, if there are a couple things that you know we needed to do to get that was one of the things he said was to be able to get the ball through the neutral zone into, the, you know, the other end. So I don't know, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know what, I, I watched the whole game and still don't know. 
So, I mean, I to me, the things that happen when they're losing are they're so frustrating because they play so poorly when they're losing four nothing or four one or something like that, and then everything that's an issue when they win six one or everything that was an issue when they lose is not an issue when they win. That is like. That is what's crazy about the Predators, the way they play. Is they play a game like they played last night, they win every night. The problem is is that they'll probably come out Thursday, uh, tomorrow, and they'll probably get down 3 nothing right off the bat, and we'll look at it and say, what happened to the Preds team that won 6-1 the other night? You know, Who do they play tomorrow? That's a really good oh, question. Minnesota? I know the answer. Minnesota. Minnesota. Oh, they better not lose that one tomorrow. No, think I'm not. already thinking about uh, Tampa on Saturday. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm not so much on the uh, on the other one. By the way, there is a a little uh, a little national media thing that I think we're going to hear a lot of over the next couple of days. I don't even know if it's worth us talking about, but I do think it's something that the national media is going to bring up. But first, let me tell you that uh, you that uh, we'll be giving away today uh, is your chance to win. Today is your chance to win a pair of tickets for see Nashville SC at First Tennessee Park for the first round of the playoffs this Saturday. Tickets are now available for purchase. NashvilleSC.com. ESPN 94.9 Game 2 is the official English radio home of the Nashville Soccer Club. Uh, Saturday, they take they first round of the playoffs, pregame 6.30, kickoff at 7 on 94.9 Game 2, powered by your Middle Tennessee Toyota dealers. So I think you're going to hear a lot of talk this week about Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota because that's what the national media had been planning on talking about all week is these two quarterbacks, who's going to make it, who's going to fail, one versus two, who's out, who's in, are they both out, why are they – the problem is is the Titans have screwed that up because Marcus is on the bench. <laughs> and yet yes, I, I saw them talking about it on NFL Live today. Is it worth us talking about Winston and Mariota? Like, do you have any – to me, I, I feel like – I mean, I feel like they're both – I'm not going to call either guy a bust because they made it five years. And when you make it five years in the NFL, that's different than being a bust. Akili Smith was a bust. Joey Harrington was a bust. Like, when you make it five years as a starter, you may not be a good – you may not have had a great career, certainly not a Hall of Fame career. In the case of both guys, probably not franchise quarterbacks – but I'm not going to call them busts. Well, I mean, they're going to be in league at some point in time. They're just, you know, they're all, always going to be recognized as a first and second pick, you know, that now is a backup quarterback someplace. Like, Blaine Gabbard is a bust. That guy is just not a starting caliber quarterback. He was never a starting caliber quarterback. He's never going to be a starting caliber quarterback. And I like Blaine Gabbard, but he just was never going to be that. I mean, Marcus and Jameis have at least proven that they're starting caliber quarterbacks. Well, I'm going to guess Gabbard started as many years as those guys did. I don't think he did. Four years? I don't think he got his fifth year. Well, uh, neither did they. No, they got he their got... fifth year exercised. Oh, yeah. You're talking about the contract. Yeah. Yeah, but they didn't play into their fifth year. I mean, they both I are mean, playing Mar- in their Marcus fifth year. didn't play his fifth year. Jameis may play his fifth year. Well, Jameis got Jameis got fourth year. Yeah, his fourth. So I mean, neither one has played five years. Uh, Gabbard spent three years in Jacksonville. So that, that's like the bare minimum that you have to have a quarterback for is the three years before you can get rid of. Okay. I mean, you draft so a guy they, in the top ten, you got to have him for at least three years. So he, so they've each got an extra year or one part of a year, but it balances out. I mean, they a got the longer. full. 
they got the full force of the. I mean, they got they got the, the money, but they didn't get the playtime. That's my point. I mean, they both have been benched before they got through their first contract. Well, but if they were both terrible, they would have never gotten to the fifth year and pick and the twenty million dollar option, and they would have never gotten to that if they both stunk it up. Well, I don't know, that'd be pretty tough to do. Locker didn't get that. Gabbert didn't get that's, that. That's Those back, guys back don't. in the day. I'm talking about now. You know, you go out and 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 besides, like last year, who are you going to take Marcus out for? Oh no! When you they know? played the Chargers last year in London, Marcus threw a terrible pick before the uh, they they threw it. Marcus threw a terrible pick, and I remember turning to my dad thinking, "You got to get him out." And then I feel like Vrabel probably felt that at times where he'd see that interception. Vrabel turn around and then he'd see Gabbert and say, all right, well, can't take him out. Well, now I guess it's a little different. Ryan Tannehill's winning games. Jason Fitz, ESPN, going to join us next. Next, We'll check in with Fitzy. What does he think about the Ryan Tannehill Titans? Does he believe? We'll discuss with Fitzy. That's coming up next. Jared and the GM live from Drake's again out here in Cool Springs, Smashville Live tonight. It's ESPN 1025, the game. Jared the GM live out at Drake's in Cool Springs. Floyd, you know something I've noticed is sometimes I feel like I can talk myself into into liking things or not liking things. Or <laughs> I feel shocked. like sometimes I can do that. I and sometimes shocked. I need someone to bring me back down to earth. I am starting to talk myself into something. Do you know what it is I'm starting to talk myself I into? I have no, dude, no clue. Ian, do you know what I'm starting to talk myself into? Does that have anything to do with Tannehill? Yes. Well, I mean, I first, much as you loved Marcus, to go on the Tannehill train so quickly is very flip-flop, Jared. I am worried. <laughs> I am worried. Ian's calling you a flip-flopper. I, that is great. I am worried after Priceless. one game. Priceless. I am starting to think in my head too much that Ryan Tannehill might actually be a good quarterback. I am worried that I'm starting to think that Jason Fitz joins us now. ESPN Radio, first and last. Golik and Wingo, formerly here. Fitzy. Fitzy, am I crazy? Is there a chance Ryan Tannehill is actually a good quarterback? Uh, well, you're, I mean, of all the reasons to, to pin you down, it's crazy still. I mean, come on. Like, you're, you're pinning me into a corner on that one. I would say, you, you see, the thing is, man, you're not married. When you're married, you start to understand that, you know, the truth is ever evolving. So maybe you think one thing one day, and the next day you think another thing, and that's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's part of the joy of, of life, my friend. And look, <laughs> Brian Tannehill is what is he a good quarterback? I think Ryan Tannehill has the ability to be a good quarterback. The question is, is the fan base ready to have a quarterback that is simply a good quarterback? Because they weren't with Marcus Mariota. They haven't been with Marcus Mariota. So at the end of the day, if they're willing to hold Tannehill to the standard of simply being good, he can be that. I, there are people around Bristol that have studied him up and down that say he can be an above-average starter in the NFL. If you're okay with above-average, Tannehill can do that for you. So, uh, by the way, Floyd has a theory going back to your marriage thing. Floyd is convinced that I will never get married, and the more I get, uh, the more I get closer to it, the more I think he's probably right. Uh, but I would say Fitz, my this was my theory going going into the weekend. I wanted to see what Tannehill could do 
when he got to the podium as the starter last week, he sounded like a starting quarterback. He sounded very responsible. Rashard Matthews was on the midday show, said, hey, he's going to hold those guys accountable, which we thought was kind of a falling of Mariota, was that he was not able to really hold guys accountable and get guys to do the right thing all the time. Then he goes out there against the Chargers, and I know the Chargers stink, but he's throwing BBs left and right out there, which made me feel good. And then I watch the Monday night football game, and I'm thinking, maybe Adam Gase sucks. Like, maybe Gase was the problem in Miami. And the fact that that defense always had nice players but never really good players, and maybe Tannehill was just always playing behind because of everything around him. And the more that I've thought that, as you can see, the more I've talked myself into thinking Tannehill might be a good quarterback. Well, look, I, I don't think there's any maybe about the Adam Gates situation. And uh, at the end of the day, look no further than when the new regime came in. What did they do? They haven't only in Miami. They haven't only gone with all new coaches. Those coaches came in and looked at the cupboard and decided the cupboard was so bare that it was worth trading the handful of players that they had they could actually play because the entire thing needed to be real, needed to be real, rebuilt so badly. And, and that, that says something about what was built in Miami. It also tells you something about what Tannehill had around him. The other thing Tannehill has never had is consistent health. And, you know, the, the, the book on Tannehill from people that have been around him within the Dolphins organization is that he's a great quarterback, not a good quarterback, a great quarterback at practice. He's the smartest guy in the room. He does things in practice that make it clear he's got an incredible understanding of the offense. The book on him is that coaches fall in love with him because the Tannehill you see Monday through Saturday is absolutely everything you want from a franchise quarterback. The problem is he hasn't necessarily put it together until now. He hasn't put it together. He hasn't had the right opportunity, and he hasn't been healthy when he has had the opportunity. If you take all of those things into to account and you say, hey, there are weapons in Tennessee that can play, the thing that you have to look at, one, is you're right. He, he was a better, more efficient passer in that game. But secondary part of it is the offensive line held up better. Now, is that because of the plays that he was getting them in and out of? Is that because he better understood the protection, or is that because the line played better? Whatever the reason is, it was better in front of him than it was for Mariota. But see, the other thing that improved was, I think, the, the production from the receiving core and I emphasize the word "core" simply because so many of those guys were were part of it. So many, so many guys made a play. Does your has your will your uh, view of the receiving group maybe change after a few games with uh, Tannehill? Substantially, I think you know, and that's the difference between uh, you know Floyd. You know this as well as anybody. That's the difference between what they always refer to as an on an on schedule quarterback. And an improv quarterback. And if there's been a knock, you know, as I talk to guys like Dan Orlovsky here, we can all laugh about Dan, the quarterback, the player. We know he wasn't a particularly good quarterback, but Dan, the quarterback analyst, has been spectacular. And when you talk to Dan about where Mariota has gone wrong, he'll tell you that it's a little bit of everything. And one of the things that Mariota was not particularly good at was delivering the ball on schedule. That is something that Ryan Tannehill does well. So we saw the wide receivers more effective. How much of that is because the ball was delivered at the right place in the right time in the right situation? And, you know, those are the moments that as much as we all watch and we all try and figure it out, when smart minds break these things down and you start to see who's better just by getting better play at the quarterback, it absolutely forces you to reevaluate everybody. Does the this, – this weekend or this game was going to be big, the number one pick, number two pick, playing each other. Well, the number two pick, you know, looks like that may not be the case. Do you see either one of these guys, do you see Jameis as the guy that's going to get that, you know, 
$28 million a year contract or whatever the, whatever the amount of money is? No, I, you know, ultimately you're looking at two guys that are now going to become backups. And yeah. that's, I think, the future for them. And, and the future for Jameis is to go somewhere where he can be a backup and, and really try and learn. But the problem is Jameis's biggest problem is in the heat of the moment, he makes bad decisions. I don't know how you can get better at that without being on the field, and you can't put somebody on the field that's a liability with bad decisions. I think Marcus still has a future in the NFL. And, and, you know, I've said this team a few times flippantly, but I could see him going someplace like San Diego in the offseason where he'll have a couple of years under Philip Rivers because Philip Rivers is basically a robot. And, uh, and while Philip will play until he doesn't want to play anymore, Marcus will get some confidence back and will get a better understanding of exactly what he needs to do in that offense. And then we'll see a Marcus that can come out and I think be still an effective quarterback. I don't think he's ever going to be a great quarterback. He can still be an effective quarterback. He still has a future in this league. I think Jameis, the, the decision-making is just so wretched. I don't know how you get better at that without reps, and I don't know how you get reps if you can't trust the quarterback not to throw the ball to the wrong team. Jason Fitz with us. Fitzy, when you were here, Marcus was a Pro Bowl-level quarterback. I mean, he was a get-them-into-the-playoffs-level quarterback. Now, you've been gone for two seasons, or at least one full season in this year, and Marcus can't hit. I mean, he can't. He can't throw it from me to Floyd right now. Do you think the Titans ruined Mariota with all of the coaching changes, the coordinator changes, so on and so forth? Do you think that they have as much a hand in his failing to become the franchise quarterback as much as he personally uh, is responsible? Uh, a thousand percent. And it's not just because of the rotating door. It's because no position in football, and maybe no position in all of sports more is more reliant on confidence and psyche than quarterbacks and i'll go back to uh somebody i know that, that years ago was a quarterback coach for eli and one of the things he talked about that was that the organization had an understanding that once eli started to take hits from the blind side he got really really antsy in the pocket and they had to bring in sports psychologists to try and help calm him down now if you're talking about sports psychologists around a quarterback it's a reminder that you know, at the end of the day, we want these guys to be tough, but confidence is still a massive issue. Once Marcus lost it, I mean, you tell me how he was going to get it back. In a never-changing offense where you never feel like you're really doing what you're great at, you can't get your body to cooperate, nothing's going your way, eventually you start to just feel like nothing's going to go your way, and that's, that's human nature. These, these guys, we watch them on, on Sundays, and we want them to be Avengers, and they're not. They're human beings. And Marcus's confidence is shot, and that's partially the Titans' fault. Last one for you, Fitz. Quickly, Titans, Bucks, who wins Sunday? Titans do. Titans are a better team top to bottom. And uh, you know what? I was disappointed. I've been disappointed at times this year in their defense, which I think can play better. I think their defense is going to play really well in this one. The Titans are going to win, and they're going to start to get the, the Ryan Tannehill chain, uh, train is going to start to get a little momentum on this, oh, even though I would still warn everybody, let's, let's give it a little time before we make it too big a deal. Fitz, I'm starting to believe. I'm starting to believe. I know I shouldn't, but I'm starting to believe. Always good to hear from you. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Fitzy. Floyd, I wish you luck hanging out with him. Uh, thanks, boys. Appreciate you. <laughs> See you, Fitz. Jason Fitz joining us, as always, from Bristol. And uh, it's funny because, I mean, you know, God bless Fitz. But he's talked about, you know, I've talked to a lot of people from the Dolphins organization who he's talking to Mike Tannenbaum. Like, I mean, the things that he's saying about Tannehill are the same things that Tannenbaum said in the offseason about Tannehill. And we laughed at Tannenbaum, but you know what? I'm starting to believe. 
I'm starting to believe in Ryan Tannehill. And there's one real big reason why I'm starting to believe in Ryan Tannehill, Floyd. And I want to get to that coming up next. As we are live out at Drake's in Cool Springs against Smashville Live tonight. Here at 7 o'clock, Rocco Grimaldi, Dante Fabro, and the Halloween bucket of candy will be out here as well for everybody to trick or treat. That's right. Jared and the GM, we are live. It's ESPN 1025, the game.